You can sit down if you want. You can stand up as long as you want to. <laughs> All right, well, basically, um, I don't know how many of you guys know us or know us only because of this, but I uh, just want to say thank you um, for everyone who has been praying and uh, everyone who's brought food and stuff. It's just really been amazing. I was telling the first service, you know, one of the things me and Sarah talk about is that in our family we want to be, you know, people that, that are Jesus with skin on to people, you know. We want to be not just someone who talks about, you know, the goodness of God and loving people, but, you know, actually doing it, you know, and it's the practical small things. And uh, so we just want to thank you guys because so many of you have been that Jesus was skin on for us through this rough time. And so we just want to thank you and just tell you it really meant a lot to us. And um, so, but yeah, she's doing great. Like he was saying, um, seven weeks ago she was born and we found out she needed open heart surgery. And so uh, we were at Eggleston for 19 days and we went through that whole process. But um, all is well now. She is the surgery went well. She's healed up, and um, it's just uh, sort of making sure that she's checked on and all that kind of stuff. But pretty much everything is good. So we just want to thank you and just want to say God bless. Yeah. You and, uh, so, did, I, did I miss anything? Am I good? <laughs> okay, because you know wives they help you remember all the stuff you yes. can't remember. So yes, they do, don't they? It's what they do. Hey, so just real quick on a more serious note, what was your favorite meal? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man. That's right. I made that All one. of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's do this. Let's take your basket. You passed on earlier. Uh, if you're, this is for our offering this morning. Also for our first time guest, you fill out that connect card. If you just take that connect card and put that into the, into the, the basket and we'll shoot you an email this week just to say thanks for being here. And uh, it'll be good. I, I do encourage you um, to, you know, Randall mentioned earlier about that database, that software. We're basically trying to just become uh, basically more efficient in what we're doing. Okay, so that's what you hear me say. You signing up on that database and take you less than a minute to do that is going to actually make your life easier in the end and by making our life easier, the things that we're doing at Vintage, okay, as well as the sign-ups and, and just all sorts of things. I mean, it's just like it's unlimited, right, if the things that can do. And so I want to encourage you, please make that happen. Just take literally take a couple minutes uh, today, uh, either at, back there at that computer or when you get home, and just sign up and get in our database to Vintage, uh, place you consider your home church. So it'd be great. All right, let's jump in this morning. Uh, I've been talking for the last uh, several weeks about this word emanate, right? Emanate's not a word necessarily you use every day in your vocabulary. I don't use it every day in the vocabulary. That's kind of why I used it, so it can kind of be this unique expression of a word uh, that we use. And, and you understand emanate. Emanate's something that comes from a source. And so we talked about the nature of uh, fire. Heat emanates from fire. It's real simple, right? You build a fire. Why? Because it emanates heat and it can warm you up on really cold days. It's fantastic. It's why we have it. So we said in a real simple way, we wanted to be people who emanated Jesus. Real simple, right? We want to live our lives and be people and be a church that as we live our lives and as we do church, we do our stuff, that we, we literally emanate Jesus, right? Jesus in us, our source, we emanate and Jesus is, is presented and expressed and seen through us and the lives of different people. And we said uh, last week, just this nature that, that really, that what we emanate is God's glory, Right, God's glory. All that really means is God's presence, his tangible brightness, his radiance. The glory is just a word that we use to describe the nature and the fullness of his presence, right? So we, and we said this, if we're going to emanate Jesus, then you need the glory of God. 
right? You need his presence because it's this. You need a power source to emanate God. And we said last week that, 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 that like that flashlight, remember I had that flashlight, it was really annoying, I was blinding you with it because it was so strong, shining it in your eyes, like, go away, jerk, right? And, and, so there's, and, and the idea, we said, a flashlight has great capabilities, has, has great, capa- yeah, great probability of working, but no capability without a power source, right? There's this possibility and probability of working if it has a power source. But without a power source, it's completely worthless, we say that's the nature of our lives. That if we're really going to be those who emanate Jesus and emanate his radiance and his brightness and his glory, that we need a power source. We need God in us, right, shining through us. And so we're going to be that we, we want to be those who emanate Jesus as God is our power source, emanating his presence through us. Right. We want to be those who emanate his presence. But the thing I want to kind of shift gears this morning and simply simply say this about his presence is that. That Jesus really for us is the example of what it's supposed to look like for us in emanating God. Right? I think we all know that it's not rocket science. That, that Jesus really is the model for us of what it looks like to emanate God in our lives. And what we can say is, is this about Jesus, that the, the life that he lived right, in emanating God's glory honestly, was not that spectacular, if I can say that without offending you, right? The idea of, 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 of showing Jesus and emanating Jesus in his life and emanating God, it was not really overall that, that, that overwhelming, if you think about it, right? He lived his life and he died with 120 followers, right? He was rejected. People despised him. People looked over him all the time and never recognized that he was actually God with skin on, right? They lived in this, this great disconnect. And, and, and who's, I mean, who in their right mind would literally go kill God? Which is what Jesus was. God was skin on. Who would do that if they really knew he was God? So basically what we're getting at is Jesus lived this unimpressive, an unimpressive life, right? That people looked at him and completely missed God's glory ultimately emanating from him. They saw some cool things, experienced some great things, but at the end of the day, Jesus literally was left behind and forgotten by all of those who ultimately loved him, right, when he went to the cross. And they said, we thought he was the one to come. We hoped he was the one to come, but I guess we were wrong. Those are his disciples. And so my point is this. When we think about Jesus emanating God's glory, emanating God's presence, we think of Jesus literally having God's glory shining through him. What we can say is this. It really, really did did not look the way that we probably think it should have looked or it could have looked. And the idea is then that I believe in many ways we've missed even in our own lives what it's supposed to look like to emanate Jesus and emanate God's glory in our life. Now, in second grade, I had a, I had a teacher. I had a teacher. Her name was, uh, was Mrs. Mize. Her first name was Judy, in case any of you know a Judy Mize, who taught at Tritt Elementary back in like 1980, 1980s, okay? And she was my second grade teacher. And I'll just say this, you know, she was a, a teacher who who loved Jesus. Now, she didn't come in preaching Jesus because she wasn't allowed to do that, but there was something about Mrs. Mize, right? Something about her life and, and that, that I would say above anybody I maybe have known in my entire life, 
She emanated Jesus. She literally, every day, she would love on us. She would love on me. She was, she was really, really strict. And it was really strange. I hated being disciplined. And I hated things that were strict. But I loved her. Which basically meant something was emanating from her that caused me to be drawn to her. And part of that was this undeniable love that she had for Jesus. And I'll never forget, ninth grade. Ninth grade, it was a difficult year for me. I literally woke up one morning, and I was clinically depressed. I, I don't know what it was. I literally woke up one morning and I was clinically depressed. I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat breakfast. I couldn't eat lunch. I was nervous. I was anxious. I felt this weight. I tried to describe it to people in ninth grade male language, which was very few words, right? I just couldn't get it out to people. I couldn't explain it. They couldn't, no one could understand what was going on in me. And I'm sitting there trying to talk to my mom and she's just loving me and I can't have no language for it, right? No language. And I'm sitting there just literally, and I hadn't, I looked back and know what was wrong. I was depressed, but I had no idea at the time. And I'll never forget one night, we're sitting at my house, and the phone rings. It's after dinner, after dinner, and the phone rings, and, and my mom says hello, and starts like, oh my gosh, how are you? I'm like, oh, thinking it's for my mom, and da 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 She starts talking, she was like, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, yes, he's right here. Hold on a second, I'm staying in the dining room. And so the, my mom said, Steve, it's for you, right? It's like the long extension cord all the way from one of those long kitchen extension cords, right? All the way around. I get the phone and I say, hello. And she goes, Steve, this is Mrs. Mize. And I went, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like, and she said, I'm like, how are you? She's like, I'm fine. She's like, I don't know. She goes, I was just praying for you this morning. God just brought me to your, just put you in my heart. And I just began to pray for you. And she said, and I knew I had to call you, so I opened the phone book a few hours ago and began calling all the Hambricks because I could not remember your dad's name. And my dad's a Terry, so he's way down the list, and there's a few Hambricks, right? And she said, I made, these phone, she said, I made the phone call, and I finally found you. And I just want you to know that God loves you. I mean, listen, in the moment... It's like, that's like, I, you know, I knew that in my own mind, right? I told myself this, but to have my second grade teacher who I haven't seen since fifth grade, right, track me down, go through this work, right, of, of finding my name and finding, and trying to remember my, this, my dad, all this stuff, and to make this phone call in the middle of ninth grade, in this moment, it wasn't just coincidence, right? It was literally the movement of God in her life to emanate Jesus. Emanate God's glory, right? To emanate Jesus to me. In that moment to express, to express his love through Mrs. Mize. When I look back on this nature of emanating Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but there are people in our lives who just emanate Jesus. Do you know them? Like when I tell that story, are there people in your history, or hopefully, hopefully people in your life Right now, who literally emanate this this presence, right? That you may not be, they may be unimpressed. I mean, she's a second grade teacher. I mean, listen, I know teachers are great, but in the eyes of the world, second grade teachers aren't that important. They're just working with seventh second graders, right? They're working with second graders. I mean, God loves second graders, but they're only important to their parents usually, right? And so there's this whole deal going on, and and here she is, right? This unimpressive woman. And the nature of the, how the world knows her, right? She's, no one sees her, just, but she's living this life, right? And we said she's, she's like this to Jesus. She's, 
This is what it means to emanate. We, we radiate, right? We reflect like the moon does the sun. We, we fully turn and re- reflect fully the sun that's shining on us. She's, re- she's turning towards God, turning, turning towards the sun, and His radiance and His brightness is shining off of her and emanating to me as a ninth grader in need of the love of Jesus. And the word, and this is the picture for us, is that I don't know how you live your life in the expectation of Jesus and, and how, what your expectation is of, of the presence of Jesus. But the idea is every single one of us should be Judy Mises of the world who are emanating God's glory by listening and by shining the love of Jesus into a world that's broken and a world that's in need. And so when we talk about coming and and emanating Jesus, this is the picture I want you to have. And the idea is this, and you know, that that Jesus, right, he emanated God's glory, his divine power, right, his moral traits, and he shows us what it means to be part of the family of God. But but the thing we recognize is that the glory of Jesus, right, the glory he emanated, it looked different than what we see described in the Old Testament, right? We don't see Jesus wrapped up in thunder and lightning like we, we see in Mount Sinai. We don't, we don't see Jesus, Jesus' face in a burning bush, right? Like Moses saw, like, whoa, there's the burning Jesus' face, right? We don't really see that happening in God's glory being expressed, right? We don't, we don't see Jesus, right, being as dead men between, b- b- before Jesus, like we see Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he sees God. We don't see Jesus setting himself up on a throne of God of glory and radiance like we like we see in the book of Ezekiel we just do not see any of this in the old testament right God's glory is described in this vivid overwhelming grandeur of beauty and majesty and of brightness but something shifts in Jesus something shifts in Jesus for that that glory that radiance and that brightness and the weight it's hidden by human skin. We call it the incarnation, right? God with skin on. God as a human being. And the only time really we see, in, if you remember in Matthew 17, it's the story of the transfiguration, right? The changing of Jesus. It was the only moment, it's only the only moment while Jesus is on earth that we really see him revealed in his fullness. I'm just going to read it. It says, says he was transfigured before them as he was changed, right? We saw his humanity and all of a sudden we saw his divinity, his brightness, right? And it says all of a sudden in this moment, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light, right? In this moment, Jesus is transfigured. He's changed in the moment. James, Peter, James, and John, they're on the mountain with him, right? Going up. They're like, Jesus is like, hey, let's go hang out in the mountain. It's like, fantastic. These guys are starting to really get on my nerves. The other nine over here, we know you love us more anyway. Let's go. So they make their way up the mountain, right? They get there, and all of a sudden, Jesus goes, oh, right? And everybody goes, oh, and Peter, James, and John, the computer goes, hey, uh, let's uh, build three houses up here, and we can live here. And, and it says, Scripture says, because they didn't know what else to say. Right? It's like, let's build houses and stay here, Jesus. He's like, idiot, love you. Let's not do that, right? No, I didn't really say that. Come on, just play him. But you get this whole nature going on, right? Jesus reveals his divinity, reveals his fullness. Could you imagine right now if I went, ah, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, right? That's what Jesus did. And all of a sudden, just as quickly as he went like this, he goes, hey guys, what's going on? Right? 
And the thing I want you to recognize about seeing the fullness of Jesus, that it was a, a powerful moment, but it was only that. It was only a moment. It was only a moment in time. And beyond this, God's glory shining through Jesus, it looked much different than this during his entire time on earth. And we don't want to ever, we don't ever want to minimize, right, the splendor that, that was conveyed in the earlier expressions of glory in the Old Testament. However, what we find in Jesus and what we find in the New Testament is simple. God's glory has been reimagined in Jesus. Okay? God's glory has been reimagined in Jesus. What I say, when I say reimagine, what I mean is God has a, has a new plan, right? A new idea, or it's really just a new direction. He says, we've been going this way for a long time. Have you ever done that, right? In your journey, maybe in your journey of life, you've been going this direction in your job or whatever it is, and all of a sudden God one day says, okay, we're going this direction. We did college ministry for 11 years, and one day Jesus said, new direction. He's able to do that, right? That's what you do. It's like a dance with God. We dance one direction, and there's a dance move, right? We watched a really, really bad dance move the other night with the guys and the, and the kids, right? This beautiful picture, right? But it was really ugly at the same time. But there's this whole thing going on, right? We're going a direction, and then Jesus shifts and changes our direction. And that's basically what's happened here in the expression of God's glory, in, in expressing the fullness of God's glory, is in Jesus, it is 100% and completely reimagined. They're going a new direction, right? So therefore, what we see revealed in Jesus is his new plan. It's a new plan of expressing his glory through Jesus. And the thing about it I want you to recognize is this. We said earlier, Jesus is the example for us, right? Our lives of emanating God's glory, his presence and emanating Jesus, should look like it did in Jesus, but it was reimagined, new direction in Jesus. It's reimagined, right? And in his life, we see Jesus. And I want you to hear these things. These are things that would describe the life of Jesus while he was here on earth, right? Jesus, we see him as easily ignorable. I mean, do we know anything but the first 30 years of Jesus' life? I mean, really, except for a couple of random stories here and there. Do you know where he graduated from? Do you know what college he went to? Could he could he read Hebrew? Do you know? Who knows? Right. We don't really because you know why? Because there's nothing so impressive about him that would cause us to tell stories about him. Right. He was easily ignorable, easily is unimpressive. He was easily dismissed. How come you think the very ones who knew the Bible best had no idea who he was and killed him? Right. There was nothing in their expectations of what they had read in the Old Testament. Right. They had read over here in all the prophets that made them think that Jesus was anything more than just a man. Now, he was a good man, right? He did some weird things. We don't like him, right? So we'll kill him. Now, yes, he did, he did some miracles and all that kind of stuff, right? But ultimately, that did not do enough to reveal him as being something other than just an impressive or an unimpressive man, right? This is an unimpressive man, right? Easily dismissed. He suffered. He was rejected. I mean, Isaiah 53 says he was ugly and nobody liked him, right? Says he was ugly, and with, let's go read Suffering Servant, Isaiah 53, go read it, right? He was not a handsome man. There's nothing about him. He wasn't even good looking, poor guy, right? 
in his life gone this new direction, there's no expression of like, oh, through Jesus. He was unimpressive in all that he did, which led to ultimately to his death. Did he do some great things? Yes. But ultimately, as it related to human beings and their understanding of him, nothing unimpressive and nothing that revealed such a, such a radiance of God's glory that it caused people ultimately to give their life to him. 120 people at the end of his life. We have 250 at Vintage. Take this, write this, right here really, and go like that. That's everyone in the world who believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I don't know about you, but in the, in the, in the way that we do church today, that's just not very impressive. Right? He wouldn't have been the top 100 most important churches in America. Right? Wouldn't have made it. Okay? Let me show you how the disciples view Jesus. When they, when they went to describe him, they described him in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. I'm going to read this in a second, but I want you to recognize is this. Don't put it. Yeah, thank you. The idea of 5 through 8 is simple. Somewhere around 40 to 45 A.D., the, the earliest writing of the New Testament is found in these verses. Peter did not write this. He's simply quoting what was basically a creed or a hymn in the early church. Okay, So Philippians chapter 2, specifically verse 6 through 8, is an early hymn that everyone in the early church would have known and would have sung. So when he wrote this, he was simply quoting something that they were already using in their church to remember who Jesus was. When they described Jesus, this is how they described him. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when they decided to express the fullness of Jesus and who he was on earth, this is how they described him. This is the picture that they paint of Jesus emanating God's glory. If you see it, it's the life of a servant. It's the life of humility. It's the life of obedience. It's the life of dying for others. Do you see the language, right? Life of a servant, life of humility, life of obedience, life of dying for others, right? This idea of dying to selfish ambitions, which allows us to freely live for others. I mean, listen, if you have children, you know, you understand this verse. Because, listen, when I got married to Randall, I went, oh, my gosh, I'm so selfish. I kind of realized how selfish I was. And then I had kids. And I said to Randall one day, I said, I had no idea how selfish I really was until I had kids. When literally 24-7, I was responsible for them. I had to, had to feed them, right? Or at least had to help feed, right? I had to, had to come alongside and, and, and clean diapers, and I had to get up in the middle of the night, right? I mean, how many, this is a terrible picture, but I don't get the idea, right? I'm literally in my boxers at 1 o'clock in the morning doing this with the, what's it called, the car seat, back and forth, because Anna Catherine has colic, and she's just crying. I'm like, oh, Jesus, right? Every night I'm so selfish and I'm a jerk. Yes, right? Because I'm like, I just want to be in bed. I don't love her very much right now. You know what I'm getting at, right? This is the nature of being a parent. It brings out the reality 
reality of our selfishness, right? And so I realize in this moment, my gosh, how much I live for myself and how I like things in my time and in my time schedule, right? I don't want you to impede on my life very much. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And, and, and I don't, you don't have the right to tell me what to do, right? The free country. How many times we use that phrase growing up? How many times do you still use it in your mind? It's a free country. I can do that, which means I'm selfish and I want to do what I want to do. And you have no insight and no thoughts into that for me. And Jesus comes and says, no, this is the idea of being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and he died. He died to his selfishness and selfish ambition, all these parts of him, this, this human nature, so that others could live. And so we begin to see in the language of the disciples that they're describing Judy Mize in my life. Describing this woman who works with second graders and never is unimpressive in the eyes of the world. And she never receives the accolades. And as far as I know, never got teacher of the year and all of her years of teaching, right? She's living her life, never receiving glory from any person. But here she is in ninth grade overwhelmingly calling, you know how awkward it is, calling people, hey, is this the house of Terry Hamburg? Is this that house with a, with a Steve Hamburg? No. Okay, right? Put the phone down, right? It's a sacrifice. It's small in our eyes, but the nature of it is simply this, this nature, right, of dying to self, living for others. In John chapter 12, Jesus uses his own language to describe this. He's describing what it meant to emanate the glory of God. He says in John chapter 12, 23 to 25, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus becomes, and he says the first thing, he says, the hour has come to be glorified, right? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Basically what this is talking about, like this is the moment that his entire life has led to, okay? This is the moment, right? This is like the climax. This is every scene of his life has led to this scene, right? This is the big scene. This is the, the drums in the background, right? Here's the music building, right? And the story, and the, we're like the, 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 the lifetime version of, of Jesus. The, all, all the things are building, right? And everyone is living in expectation that this, like they hear him say this, the disciples hear him say this, and they're like, oh, this is the moment, right? He's about to, he's about to open up a can on the Roman Empire and do his thing, right? This is the moment. I cannot wait for this, right? Like, we're gonna, we got, we got a front row seat, get the popcorn, here comes Jesus. It's the moment. It's the scene. It's about to go down. They're like, yes, the Son of Man has come to be glorified, right? This is the moment basically where Jesus in his life is going to express through his life and imitate God's glory the most. This is the moment where God's glory is going to be seen and expressed in its brightest and most clear Form as an example for every single one of us in the world. This is the moment. It is the moment. Jesus is going to be glorified. He's going to open up the most and reflect God the most in the world. Radiating, the big moment of radiating the glory of God. Love. 
expressing itself through sacrifice. Which leads to number two, we see glory expressed through death. We see glory expressed through death. Where it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Listen, we're good southerners, so let's just kind of shift the language here. It's okay to do this. We're going to insert watermelon into kernel, okay? This wheat kernel. We don't know, we don't know wheat very well, but we know watermelon, right? <laughs> I was talking to Tiffany. I don't know how long ago this was, and she was talking about, um, they had, where are you, Tiffany? I saw you asked. She's like eating watermelon in your backyard, and you spit the seeds out, right? And then water, they, she's talking about the nature, like, they're sitting there eating watermelon one day. All of a sudden, they took all the rinds, and they kind of threw them up in the corner, and like, in the spring, all of a sudden, this watermelon vine popped up, right? It's just in the nature. So, you think about, think about when you eat a watermelon, what do you do? You take a big bite of the watermelon, and there's like six seeds in there, and you kind of take them over to the side and put them over here, and then you see how far you can spit them, right? It's a real fun game to play, right? And so you get this nature. So all of a sudden it says, unless a watermelon seed falls to the ground and is dug into it and dies, it cannot become this massive vine to do what? Why? Because with one watermelon seed, think about how many seeds are in one watermelon. It feels like thousands when you're a little kid, right? It's like thousands of seeds, and the nature of it is this. Jesus is saying, listen, my glory is expressed in its fullest form when people literally choose to die. When, like he said, as, it, as in a seed, a seed goes and chooses to be planted, right? It's, it's planted in, right? Jesus comes and uses practical language of gardening because they understood it. It says, unless a kernel of wheat, right, unless a watermelon seed falls to the ground, go, digs in, and it dies, it cannot become some massive vine to produce thousands and thousands of other seeds. And the nature, he's coming and saying, listen, as I literally, as I choose as a sacrifice to emanate God's glory by sacrificially dying, serving others, giving my life away for them. As I do that, it literally opens up the doors for billions of people to come to Christ throughout the history of time. And he comes and he paints this picture. The sun's going to be glorified. Like, yes, popcorn time. By death. And you're like, that doesn't sound very Old Testament-like, <laughs> right? God's supposed to be expressed like coming and like destroying whole armies. God, right? And then he does this thing that we really, really, really just don't like. In the next verse, number three, he says the man or woman who loses or hates his life will save it. He basically says, first, the man's going to be glorified. I'm going to do it by my death and my sacrifice. And then every single other person who wants to be like me must do the same thing. You're like, oh, Jesus, terrible. Bad idea, right? Bad idea. It's nature, right? Jesus speaking into the moment. And obviously he's not talking about hatred of, of self itself, right? We're called, God, he designed us. We, we acknowledge his, his glory and his delight in us as his children. But what he's talking about in this death is really, it's like rejection, of our self's claim to autonomy and control, right? We hate the selfish nature of ourselves. We, we, we lose this part of ourselves. We, we choose to, to die to our selfishness and we choose to die to our selfish ambitions. We, we choose, right, to, to die to our rebellion and to live our lives in light of eternity. As in saying, God, I die to my own selfish desires, my own selfish wants, right? My own, this, this selfish individualism, right? That lives solely for self. And I give myself to you and I live for you. 
right? Your decisions, your desires, your longings for me. This is what he's coming and saying. The Son is going to be glorified through death. And this is what your life also needs to look like. A life of sacrifice and of loving others and giving our life away. Just like we've done for our children. And to live like that in the context of every relationship that we're in on earth. And as you do that, you've done this. You've radiated quietly in a very unimpressive way the glory of God. So go back to John 17, 23, which we looked at for the last couple of weeks. And he says this, Father, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them. The glory that you've given me, I have given them. Jesus says, the glory that you've given me of expressing in sacrifice and in selflessness and dying to these things is the same glory that I've given them to emanate and express in their lives so that they may be one as we are one. Let me tell you whom you don't like hanging out with. People who are selfish, self-absorbed, and live by their schedule and never listen to yours. Let me tell you who you love being around. Those who are selfless, serve you well, and just love on you. What greater way is there to have unity than to emanate the selflessness and sacrifice that Jesus is talking about of emanating Jesus? What if our lives were full of Judy Mises of the world? How great do you think life would be? And how much unity do you think that we would have? Think about it, husbands and wives. What if you all of a sudden began living like this towards one another? Every marriage woe would go go away like this. If you actually selflessly listened and gave your life away for your spouse every day, looking for ways to serve and to sacrifice, and then you're mutually doing that. We call it mutual submission, submitting to one another. Guess what? You have the best marriage in the world, and everyone would be drawn to your marriage, including your children. You might want that. And Jesus is talking about the nature of sacrificially living and emanating Jesus through sacrifice and selflessness. Now, here's the thing. It seems counterintuitive to us today, right? And everything that we think about, right, and the idea of stuff, you know, Jesus, quote, unquote, being unimpressive or Jesus and all of these things, right, this not necessarily expressing this brightness and radiance like we're used to, right? When we think of this, if we're honest, this is not how we would do God's glory. Like, you think about it, you know, when, you, when someone you're like, God, I wish I could just, just, wish I could just show them Jesus. And in your mind, you're thinking some big, huge, massive, like explosion, right? You want to see fire fall down from heaven and consume something, right? You want to see the brightness. You just want to go, ah, Jesus, 
that's right. That's what you want to do. And so in our own mindset, we have a, we probably have a better idea of how to be God than God does. We have a much better idea of how to express Him in the world than most people do. And we see it in church every Sunday morning, right? We think in church, we, we believe the ministry of Jesus is through big shows, right? The bigger the show, the bigger Jesus can be seen, right? We think through big lights and we do these big series, right? These big media blitz and everything is big, big explosion, dynamite, right? We see all these things on television and there's this boom, 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 all these fireworks and all this kind of crap going on, right? It sounds nothing like Jesus. Because Jesus' his big moment was death. And I don't know about you, but I'm never really drawn to death. I don't go, oh, somebody's dying, woohoo, let's go, right? No. It's not the big show. It's the thing that repulses. And Jesus says, this is what I'm calling you to do, emanating, emanating God, emanating God's glory through living this life, right? A sacrifice for others and ultimately being the sacrifice. This was the, expect, this was the expression of God's glory, Living this life of humility. He emanated God through his life of service. He emanated God's glory through sacrifice. Let me put it another way. If you really want someone to know Jesus, right, and you're praying, what you should begin praying for is, God, would you put people like Judy Mize in their life to serve them and to sacrifice to the point they're so humbled, they are drawn to them saying, Why are you doing this? Why are you so different? Why are you so weird? You're really unimpressive, to be completely honest, but I'm drawn to you. And the answer comes pretty clearly. It's Jesus. And he was unimpressive, too. (laughs) He's emanating his glory. I've been just looking at him all day long. Oh, I just can't get enough. And he's just, he's good. He's God. We strive in our lives so often. We strive to become more. But the nature of being a follower of Christ is to become less. We strive to be less visible so that God may become more visible. We strive to to not be about us, but we strive to make Jesus great and his name be known. Instead of grasping tightly to whatever we value, we're called to let it all go. For the one who loses his or her life will actually find it. How counterintuitive is that? How, how against everything that we know in culture is that phrase, right? Instead of grasping more tightly to what we value, we let it all go. For the man who loses his life, the woman who loses her life, will actually save it in sacrificing for others. The idea for us when we talk about God's glory is that our culture has corrupted our understanding of glory and even our expectation of it, right? We like Jesus, and we like the life that he lived, and we like the glory that emanated from him because we received something of great value from it. But let's be honest, we would prefer not to have to follow in his footsteps, We would prefer to not have to sacrifice. We would prefer to not have to be nice. We'd prefer not to serve and to give our lives away. We would prefer just to go ahead and do what we want to do by nature, right? And this is the, we prefer to do that. But, but here's the thing. 
If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we really want to emanate the glory of God, then we don't have an option. Unfortunately, in Jesus, we find a glory that is best expressed through obscurity, through rejection, through misunderstanding, through humiliation, through sacrifice, and ultimately through death. Simply, listen, simply giving our lives away. But what happens when we do this is the promise from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says this. And we, and we with unveiled faces, we with, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This unveiled faces as we look to Jesus, right? As we look and we, as we look and we reflect His glory, as we as we live like He did, as we live a life of sacrifice, as we Judaize it up in the world, right? As we're living like this, this under this life of being unafraid of obscurity and rejection and misunderstanding and humiliation and sacrifice and death. As we do this, then all of a sudden we and we increase, right? We go, we we're transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory emanating from us, right? It's as if he's just bubbling up inside of us. This nature of God's glory coming through us. So through, for us, we're called in this life to be those who are the power source of God. Not thinking Old Testament glory, but thinking the cross. Because God reimagined glory through Jesus And he now is our expectation of what we're expecting of our own lives, looking like him, choosing intentionally to sacrifice and to give our lives away, to be people who embrace death. Because only in death is life found. You see, it's the it's this paradox for us as humanity that by nature we've been created by God to never die. Right. We were created before before time. Right. The Garden of Eden, man, human beings were created to never die. That's why death is so repulsive to us. So we never actually want to die because we weren't created to actually die. And so we that's why we run from it. But Jesus comes and embraces it on a different level and says, but this is how you actually find life. And we have to wrestle through that. Of serving sacrificially even those who are difficult to love. And as we do that, as we do that, people are drawn. They don't know why, because you're not really all that impressive. You're not really that great in the eyes of the world. But you've given yourself away. And people say, I don't know what you have, but I'm drawn to you. And you know it's because you've been doing this to Jesus and simply emanating his glory, the power source you're connected to. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we sit in this moment and just recognize, God, that this message is difficult, Lord, because how do you flesh this out? And what does it mean to die? And all this kind of stuff, God, I, I recognize this, Lord. But the message to you for, from you, I believe, to us, God, is that Jesus is the model in each of our individual lives. We are taking steps, God. And every day we have these steps to choose between that are selfish-oriented or selfless-oriented, where we're actually choosing life so that others may die, or that, God, we're choosing death so that others may live. 
And so, Father, we ask for your help and your ability and your grace this morning to step into this, God. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we prayed before we came into service, and I recognized like, this difficult message, right, to talk about the nature of, of death.